Hey everyone, Sloan here with another episode of the Free Money Podcast. Um, this episode, we're joined by Rushit Garg, who's the founder of the Harvesting Found Farmer Network in India. This is a really, really interesting platform that he's built, which is sort of like a modern version of an agricultural cooperative that uses a mix of AI, research, and you know, just realistic understandings of what it's like to be a, a smallholder farmer in India to build a much more efficient market for agricultural goods in India. Um, you know, given our interest in gardening, we were of course interested to get some tips and I, I won't kind of give away what we talked about. Um, but in addition to that, Ashby and I also did our usual rounds of banter, um, talking about ancient spreadsheets from places other than Babylon, uh, places, you know, whether or not investment institutions are, are ever gonna really start relying on advice from AI and, you know, just the vibes and the mood. Um, so in any case, uh, if this is interesting to you and you're liking the podcast, please follow along, rate us on your podcast platform of choice, and feel free to send us a question at freemoneypod at gmail.com that we'll answer in, the up, in an upcoming episode. I'm so excited about the spate of guests that we've got coming up in the next couple of weeks, and I just can't wait to share it with you. So without further ado, take it away, Sharkbait. Give them the disclaimer. Ahoy, Free Money Podcast listeners! I'm Sharkbait Buckley, the Disclosure Pirate, and I'm here to set ye straight about what's going on with this here show. Sloan Ortel works for Invest Vegan LLC, a New York registered investment advisor. Ashby Monk works for Stanford University, Adapar, Future Proof, Long Game, and various startups. All opinions expressed by either Sloan or Ashby are entirely their own, and do they reflect the opinions of their crew or any company. Clients who invest vegan may maintain positions in securities and strategies discussed in this podcast. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Invest Vegan and its representatives are properly licensed or exempted, and a client agreement has been executed. Arr. Here comes the money! Here we go! Money talk! Welcome to the Free Money Podcast. It's where we explore the world of institutional investing in a way that hopefully doesn't bore you to sleep. Uh, how you doing, Ashby? I'm good. I was about to sing sing a song. Ella, sing a I think Ella Fitzgerald. Summertime <laughs> in the it's, livings. It's so easy. true. So true. Like I, I you know, I love being able to like pop out and like mess around in the garden in between meetings oh. and stuff like that. Like. Uh, the mental health benefits of it being the summer are just outrageous. Can I tell you that my parents, uh, we did a little early, early Father's Day uh, oh, last weekend mm -hmm. uh, because we're going on a trip to the United Kingdom with my family over Father's Day. And they were like, all right, somebody needs to come and take care of your mint. Because <laughs> I told you I planted mint in my garden and it noob, looks noob, like... Noob. It is a space alien invasion. Like <laughs> there is so much mint there. It was. It is a like five foot by ten foot box, um, and it is all mint. Wow! It is like a a mint planet. I don't know what I'm talking about. It's early in the morning, <laughs> but it, but it, yeah, I. <laughs> Sounds like uh, you got to make some juleps there, you know. Uh, I know. 
You're I know. Like, I, I picture you like sitting on your porch in a like an all white suit. Uh, you know, yeah. like mint tea. <laughs> yeah, smoking a cigarette on a Galois. You know, just like <laughs> oh my goodness, the good old days <laughs> when we didn't know oh, it yeah. gave you cancer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, awesome. Well, look, we're back at it. I feel like we keep we keep stalling, but I think we're gonna have a series here, Sloan. I believe this, so. I believe like so. we have yeah, a I mean, series of. Is it agriculture related? I mean, I think it's pretty broadly agriculture, climate, and and stuff that interests us related. Uh, yeah, you know, which is like, <laughs> which is a pretty the- broad. I think you and I were going back and forth on the hundred percent certainty that aliens are on our planet now. That was the other thing that now interests us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is from a colleague of yours. I was like sitting like upstairs watching, like catching up on sessions from the Salt Conference a couple weeks ago. And I saw this thing where it's like, you know, the headline is 100% aliens are here. Yeah, um, that's pretty, and, pretty sure. That's a high probability. Yeah. I don't usually assign 100% probability to low probo- probability thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, 100%. And, and this guy's kind of credible, too. He's like, you know, he's got, he's founded like eight, a billion companies. A couple of them are listed on NASDAQ. I mean, he's a professor at Stanford School of Medicine. I know. Uh, you know, and... To hear him tell it, it's basically like, look, it's not about the hypothesis about what kind of alien it is. It's like, do you believe the data that the government released about these various like objects that are flying in ways we can't explain? Yeah. Do you believe you know? it? Yeah. And, and like, and that like is really mind blowing. The other mind blowing thing is that that video, no one showed up for that session. The conference room was like completely empty. Um, Interesting. You know, so like shame on Salt Conference attendees, right? Like you yeah. think that the 100% aliens are real guy is going to be a popular session. And among us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. just real, like out there somewhere, which I think uh, some of us, including me, is willing to um, accept. It's a big universe, okay? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I think, you, I mean, it's really, you know, easy to grant the hypothesis that they exist somewhere. Mm. You know, the interesting thing to me, again, about this video is that this guy actually at one point throws out like, oh yeah, I'm not so worried that they're going to take over the world and ruin us. I'm more, I'm thinking about how can we use this? Yeah. He's trying to reverse engineer all the technology. Yeah. And the point, and then I'll get to the news, but, yeah. but the point that I thought was really fun was, Hey, like you guys are all wondering why these little craft are crashing. Like they sent these craft 22 million years ago to cross the galaxy they're self-replicating spaceships that are looking for planets to, uh, you know, they're drones and they're yeah. meant to go and look around. And if they crash, fine. They send the data back before, yeah. you know, they crash. And when you start thinking about it like that, you're like, oh, yeah, that is probably like that could be real. That could be hmm. real. Yeah. And then you also go like the other thing that, you know, I was like, I got to send this to Ashby because they were talking about this as a big data project like a data organization project where, yeah. you, you know, like basically the search for extraterrestrial intelligence inside of the government at this point has more to do with getting all of the various pieces of information from various departments aggregated in a way that they can actually be analyzed. Amazing. Sound familiar? It does. <laughs> it does. Speaking of space aliens, um, long-term investing. 
is also <laughs> strange. And you need to make long-term investments to get from the other side of the galaxy to our side of the galaxy. They so call him the perfect, king of the segue. There's king of a the segue. perfect segue there, Sloan. <laughs> Uh, in 2021, and I am into the news now, just for everybody's, uh, you know, if you're looking to segment our show, we are into the news section. Uh, the Financial Conduct Authority in 2021 approved a new long-term investment vehicle um, called the Long-Term Asset Fund. And the LTAF was established by the FCA. Um, and I'm going to just read the quote. Um, to allow for that long-term e-liquid assets can provide a useful alternative investment opportunity for investors with long time horizons. The FCA also notes that an ability to invest in e-liquid assets through an appropriately designed and managed investment vehicle is important to support economic growth and transition to a low-carbon economy. How neato. That's so weird. What a great idea. I know. It's like the government doing something real neato. Um <laughs> And what I think is fabulous about this is so much of the what, what we end up doing in asset management is governed by these legal structures, yes. these tax structures. Like, oh, well, we have to do GPLP structures because yep. of the tax. <laughs> well, um, the reason I'm bringing this up now, because it was approved first in 2021, is that the very first long-term asset fund, the specific fund, according to the FCA, was authorized. First one in at the end of May, huh. so they they approved this thing in 2021, and the world blew up in terms of markets. Now we're 2023. Yep. We've got the first LTAF, so I think that's pretty fabulous. The, and and so and so this is going to allow them to just like it's basically a permanent fund structure, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like an evergreen. It's it's a little bit like a corporate, I think, but in the yeah. in the context of the UK. Um, legal environment. It's like an evergreen fund structure. It's it's so weird to like, you know, get into this world and realize that what gets you exciting is completely not intuitive to anybody who is outside of it. Uh, 100%. Like, it's like, oh my God, yeah. Slight revisions in the in the oversight uh, regulations around long-term investment funds. <gasps> I can't believe it. I know. I, like, I, I like it's I, I feel like, you know, I hear stuff like that and I behave like a woman in a shampoo commercial where I'm like running my fingers through my hair and like moaning. Uh, and I just can't can't explain it to anybody outside of this investment world. I can't either, you know, and I just finished teaching this class on long term investing. And sometimes you just see the eyes glaze. I yeah. I teach class and I see people sleeping in my really? classes. Oh, yeah, That's it happens. Really? I mean, that's uh, that's hard for me to believe. I mean, I, I would imagine that you would be, you know, sh giving them the memes, keeping the keep it, reaching oh, the kids, yeah. keeping them interested. I'm keeping it real in there, Sloan. I'm doing the comedy. I'm doing the jokes. Yeah. I uh, yeah. I call on people that are asleep because I it's not hard to spot you. You know, like that's what I do. I'd be like, this kid's sleeping. Let's ask him. Yep. It's yep. Yeah, very yeah. good comedy for the rest of the class when that's you do exactly, that. Exactly. You know, when you call up the kid. And I had one kid whose hand was broken on a bike accident and he kept stretching his hand in class because his he was like doing his PT, I think, in my class. But I just kept calling on him because he, I would like, <laughs> he'd be doing his exercises and I would then purposefully say, any students have an idea? And his exercise with his hand is going, and I'd be like, "Okay, back to you. You got an idea?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. No, Doctor Mug, my hand is broken. And I would <laughs> just be like, 
I know, I know. You know <laughs> uh, hey, I don't, hey. I, all right, I've got one more bit of news. I had two more bits, but I think we're running out of time. Yeah, yeah. Kosovo, which is a country people my generation, I'm in my mid-40s, know just because of the war there ages ago. But Kosovo, <laughs> small country in southeastern Europe, um, emerged as one of the independent states coming out of what we called the Balkan conflict is establishing its first sovereign wealth fund. And in and huh. in particular, it's establishing a sovereign development fund, which will be um, tasked with attracting foreign investment into Kosovo um, in order to drive jobs, drive industry, all the stuff that we've now come to associate with sovereign development funds. So Kosovo is the latest country to establish a fund and, and frankly establish the sovereign development fund. There's a saying that uh, comedy is tragedy plus time. And I think that mm. that's kind of applicable to sovereign development funds, right? Sovereign <laughs> development funds are tragedy plus time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, I guess if, if you could, if you kind of link tragedy to like sincere need, you know, yeah, yeah, like exactly. You, exactly. You know, you just like need the, jobs. You need an industry. You need something. You're missing it. That's the tragedy. And the SDF is, is coming in to fix that. Exactly. Exactly. It's a, one of the great mechanisms for that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, in, a, in yet another masterful segue, uh, speaking of coming in to fix a thing. Yes. Uh, I think it's time we introduce our guest. Don't Let's get our guest going. Yeah. We've got Rashid Garg with us, who from a Twitter account, has My built goodness. this network of smallholder farmers in India um, that is like really, really exciting from all sorts of standpoints, not just because we're gardening geeks and we're hoping that he's going to give us some The tips. greatest tip. Hey, Luchip. <laughs> hey, Andrea Islam. Good to see you. Good to see you. You're calling in. For, you're coming to us live from India, I think. Which part of India are you in right now? I am calling in from India, northern part. Right now, it's 9.30 p.m. here. Okay. Uh, are we global or what? We are. We're bringing, yeah. So here, you're at the end of the day. We're at the beginning of the day. That's how the planet works. Uh, <laughs> just F your eye, everybody. Ruchi, give us a sense before we jump into all of the specific innovations. Just talk to us about your background and the background of the small kind of farmers in India and then you know what motivated you to get involved in this let's just set the stage here because it's a pretty exciting opportunity sure awesome so I grew up in India you know lower middle class family lost my father very early on uh, but to, you know there was a point in life where four of us was living in a hundred square feet place with my siblings and so forth uh, long story short ended up doing my master's in computers Microsoft hired me in India. They loved my work, so they moved me to Redmond, Washington, where I helped build Xbox operating system and stuff like that. Whoa! Got bored. I uh, I really enjoyed yeah. that as a as a as a young as a kid. Yeah, no, we still enjoy your work. This is great. <laughs> so, so in 2011, I left Microsoft, started my first company in US in one of those garages in Redmond, Washington. Uh, sold it off in 2016 and at that point I started thinking about you know my roots wherein because I came from a family where my grandfather was a small scale farmer and I realized that you know I should do something with you know a little bit of money I made and the network and all the connections uh, and I started thinking about the farming and quickly I realized that 
you know, the world is fed by small scale farmers. Um, according to definitions, farmer who has less than two hectares of land uh, are called small scale farmers. Uh, and there are about 480 million of them in the world. So 80% of the food comes from small scale farmers. Wow. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's surprising. I mean, I know in, in US, when you look in California, almond yeah. farms, they're like 40 hectares, 100 hectares, you yeah. can't see one end to other end. But that's a very tiny fraction of the food where it comes from. Hmm. Um, yeah, and it's not the most uh, the most you know kind of helpful model for the earth too, right? To grow these giant exactly, industrial monocultures. Exactly. Yes, monocultures. We'll get there, right? So, <laughs> uh, so I started thinking about what is the way we can actually make these small scale farmers more successful? Because growing up in India, we saw a lot of these farmers struggling. Uh, we saw thousands of these farmers taking their lives. Uh, because they didn't have a way to pay or feed their own family. And it's kind of surprising because, oh, you know, they have, they are the ones who are growing the food and they don't have the food to feed themselves. Uh, so started working into it. Uh, I was in Silicon Valley that time and started looking into from a global scale on how I can actually solve this problem. And more I looked into this from my nerdy mind, I started looking at it as a information asymmetry problem. What I realized mm. that on one hand, we have billions of people in the farming uh, involved. Uh, and then on the other hand, we have a lot of people who want to buy food. They want to give loans to the farmer, insurance to the farmer and all sort of things. But there's a information asymmetry between these two giant uh, pieces. And technology happens to solve, technology happens to be good player when it comes to solving asymmetry problems. So my initial uh, goal was to sort of build an AI, sort of a Google map uh, for agriculture, where if I throw a dart on the globe, wherever it might land, the machine should be able to tell whether it's a farmland, what is grown, how much is grown. Because if you think from the money perspective, it's a multi-trillion dollar asset, which mm -hmm. nobody has a clue on. Right. So imagine being able to monitor and uh, do things on that data. You can not only make money, but you can actually help farmer be more prosperous. So that was the idea. And then we started building this high performance computing engine where we have like 20,000 servers in the Google Cloud, you know, running and, and getting the data from satellite and a bunch of stuff where we could actually started. Uh, figuring out where is rice, where is wheat in Thailand and in India and things like that. Um, however, over the time, I realized that, you know, the data we may have is not going to directly help the smallholder farmers. And around the same time, I said, you know what, I should actually leave Silicon Valley and live very close to farmers. And I packed my bag sold everything I had in Silicon Valley, moved my family with my kids back to India in 2019. Oh, wow. Um, the classic you, immigration story. Yeah, exactly. Leaving yeah. America to go yeah, back to yeah, India. Yeah, for, for, for opportunities. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Good for you, Richard. 11 years in US, I uprooted everything I had back to India. It was first few months, it was 
terrible and frustrating because oh why don't know why people are honking on the streets and you know how do I <laughs> yeah believe <laughs> like yeah why he stops at the red 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 light and stuff like that but I think it it um what happened that you know soon after landing in India a couple of months we are into COVID and I was like oh you know what I don't know what to do we're all logged into our homes. And I can't go out to meet farmers and stuff like that. And that's where I think this light bulb, you know, um, started wherein I could not build an app. I could not go to meet the farmers. But I said, oh, I have a bunch of farmers on my mobile phone. Let me text them and see uh, if they need any help selling their crops. I had six, seven farmers and I started a Twitter account wherein I started posting about, oh, you know, this guy from Northern UP want to sell 200 kilos of um, papaya or there's another guy in the West of UP want to sell 500 kilos of, uh, you know, carrots and stuff like that. And it was April 12th, 2020, I distinctly remember I posted about six farmers and it just literally took off. Uh, in 18 months, I have about $500 million worth of crops. Farmer WhatsApping me on my personal WhatsApp, where 4 in the morning to 12 in the night, only thing I would do is read the message on my own personal phone, post it on Twitter, and people <laughs> were buying crops online. So wow, great. I, I love that you, you know, you've got like, you go, you have this crazy journey where you're like, all right, let's, let's do this big data problem. Like, let's, let's get all these servers, all this stuff. And then you're like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to text farmers. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm literally going to write down, maybe even by hand, what people are sending me on WhatsApp. <laughs> and then I'm going to rewrite it on Twitter. So it, sorry, it, that was it, the beginning. It, That's not the end. That was the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, um and i mean it was all unintentional i was not thinking about making a business out of it i was like you know what i was just stuck here in this apartment we can't go out maybe you can use my twitter and whatsapp and stuff like that for the use and it just little took off and that's where i realized i was trying to help farmer do financial inclusion and i think nothing beats the financial inclusion for farmer then actually helping them make more money. So it's not about <laughs> lending and insurance. It's about, hey, if I can help farmers sell more crops at a better price, there's nothing like it. Um, so that was that, an awesome... Yeah. yeah, go ahead. That's a that's a huge... I mean, like, you hear a lot of people try and argue that, you know, farming is a story of finance from the standpoint of, like, you know, you need let you need uh, to be able to like sell the crops in advance. So hence, we have the futures contract. You need to be able to you know borrow money to buy seeds. Hence, we have specialized lenders. But the kind of like market development angle uh, is is often neglected. I'm curious, like you know, th there's this ancient cooperative model that yeah. farmers have used, right? And it seems like I and I think H HFN is you describe it as a farmers cooperative in some sense, you know. So like. Can you talk about the the history and the future of that model as you see it? Sure. So so in India, we have about 120 small scale farmers and about 85% of them are very, very small. So I work You're with 120 farmers. 120 million small scale farmers, right? Yes. So if you look at <laughs> from the 
family perspective, that's about half a billion people who are in yep. farming, and then about a you know another half a billion people who have services and tools and products in the farming. For example, somebody creating tractor or somebody creating pesticides and fertilizers and stuff like that, right? So if you look mm-hmm. at small scale farmer, the problem is they are small. They're too small. They buy everything at uh, holes uh, at a retail price. And they sell everything at wholesale price. So when you when that happens, you are losing at both ends. Uh, when you're too small, market doesn't recognize that you exist. So that's where the cooperative model comes, where a bunch of farmers come together and cooperate for the larger good. That is, hey, you know, 100 of us, let's buy seed together. I'll buy 100 bag together. And then that will get a discount. And then if we are selling output that is produced or the crops together it's easier to transport maybe you have a more negotiating power and so forth that has been the traditional model Um, there are some good example india has done fairly well in terms of dairy cooperative amul is a very very large example super successful in india however it has not really picked up when it comes to vegetables and other crops so what we have done we realized that while co-op is the way to go because many small farmers coming together makes a big farmer simple right but technology allows us to have these farmers cooperate beyond their physical vicinity right the farmers even the neighboring village can start cooperative cooperating because technology allows them to share the data and intelligence and so forth and that's what we did so using simple mobile app we allow farmers to come together, share the information, which allows these guys to buy seeds for cheap, get free advisory, and then also allows them to sell the crop to large cooperative. That's really cool. That's really, Very. really cool. But like, yeah. okay, so, so, but like AI though, like what, like, yeah. <laughs> is that like, you know, I mean, it in, you know, I, I, manage money in the public markets and like the you know everything is ai all of a sudden Hmm? is this really ai like how did how do we how does a smallholder farmer like need ai yeah so it's a very interesting way to use ai in which uh we are using it in the ground for example uh imagine a very small farmer in a remote india have some sort of a crop infestation that guy typically doesn't know Uh, what to do when that happens so instead of creating a new mobile app what we have done we have created an ai service where a farmer takes a picture of the crop infestation the image Hmm. hits our server and within seconds farmer gets an answer hey your sugar cane has this black worm by the way here's the solution for that and if you want a cheaper priced uh, product, then you go buy from HFN Center. Uh, so it not only huh. allows farmers to have the agriculture doctor in their pockets, uh, but also allows them to buy affordable uh, product at a better pricing, which is available at their nearest HFN Farmer Center. Ashby's so, wondering uh, if so you can get that in Palo, in Palo Alto. I do. Well, I, I have a, an app 
<laughs> which I won't mention because they're not sponsors of the show yet. But I do have an app that will diagnose my plants. So it's fun to hear you're doing that. And Richard, I, I can remember when we first met, it was like, I don't know, 2016, 17, you were thinking of using geospatial to go in yep. and look at crops like the small cropland. And so it's interesting to hear you actually don't need satellites, you know, to understand the, the health and the quality of the crops. You need your those farmers to be geolocated and take some pictures of where they are. Yeah. So bo- yes. And upload and those pictures. Both has different use cases. So while I have a farmer taking these pictures. I also farmer is also telling me indirectly that he is the he this is where he is standing. This is the crop he is growing, and I can ask some more information about. Hey, tell me what uh, size of the land you have so that I can prescribe you right uh, dosage for the crop. What it does, it allows me to get free ground truth data, which when you Corroborate with the satellite data allows me to do a macro picture, right? So hmm. imagine whatever work we are doing from the satellite. We were very good initially to build top-down model wherein from satellite we were able to see things. But now we have a f- almost free engine where millions of farmers would give us data which is true because they need free advice and things like that. And when these guys, when this information comes together, we are able to predict monitor and do a lot of things about the farm and the data around it for example in the state of punjab in india we are the only private agency who is able to tell how many lakh of hectares of wheat grown in entire state and within 15 days we are able to update that data which is worth billions of dollars in terms of the crop value so that can be done for six seven sixty 400 crops over the time as we have more and more farmer who are able to work with us because it has a far reaching you know implications india has about in agriculture about 400 billion dollar plus opportunity all combined when it comes to input output tools and other services so imagine being able to wow. actually tell you know all the you know fertilizer company that hey you know this is the crop which is growing or insurance company saying, Hey, you know, this is the place where there's no crop because of hailstorm, And then you need to give them insurance or even working with government because today uh, they have very little idea in terms of what happens on the ground at that farm level. It's a trillion dollar opportunity of us. You know, and I think when I think about this too, I think about it in terms of climate resilience. Like, you know, here in you know in the U.S., I know, like you're starting to see these really interesting situations where you know farmers in Oregon are collaborating with farmers in Mexico because yep. you know as the climate changes, you're able to grow uh, you know crops that historically wouldn't have worked in Oregon, uh, you know, but now you're able to grow it. I mean, like I'm in Utah. You know, and it the weather for the last five years looks nothing like the weather, you know, for the previous 30. Are you starting to see instances where you can say like, you know, hey, what's up, Mr. Farmer? You should grow this variety of amaranth or this variety of this or that or the other thing. Yeah, so there's definitely a shift because entire world is divided into 27 agroecological zones. And those zones are shifting because of shift of the 
weather pattern. And that's where also I think the AI would really help because all the generational information farmer have been getting from the forefathers is no longer working because suddenly, you know, the rains are not on the same month and so on and so forth. So while we are building those capabilities, we at the moment are not prescribing farmers that, hey, you know, you should go and change the crop because that's a huge burden on us to be able to say to the folks that don't grow that, do this because it's somebody's livelihood. We can yep. guide them that, hey, take a look at that because it comes with a lot of, you know, uh, responsibility. Got it. That's so cool. And so I, I assume that you've got a really awesome garden or farm of your own. Before you do that, before you give us your garden tip, though, can we connect all this data into, oh, yeah. the, into the loans that we could provide farmers, into the lending? Into Good point. Yes, because I want to hear, you know, I'm the finance nerd. And so yeah. I want to hear, like, this is alternative data. Can we actually use this to allocate capital more efficiently and unlock free money for people? <laughs> Yes, it can definitely get better uh, because when I know a farm and I know what quantities of the crop on the farm, I can essentially say in three months, the farmer is going to make that money. So let's say it's, let's say it's a $50,000 worth of crop sitting uh, for the farmer. A bank can decide that, okay, I can take this risk and 10% of that value I can write right away. The problem tip right now we have is it's too costly for the bank to actually go to the farm to write a small mm. check. Now, with satellite and all the AI work we are doing, they can start taking those risks because that guy doesn't have to go to the farm and can, uh, can afford to write small checks. So using alternative credit score, we, we call... Um, um, farm far, farm score um, and what we have done is we have looked at the farm and then we have said okay tell me how far that farm is near to the main highway or or freeway uh, how far that farm is near to the market how far that farm is near to a water source because when you put all this together I know a farm closer to the market closer to the road closer to the water source is likely to get better prices right so we're doing mm -hmm. these experiments yeah. there's long road ahead for us but that's where we see you know going ahead with all the data we are connecting that's so cool i love that's it that's so cool and, and and you know the if you think about the balance sheet of those small farms to the yeah. extent i mean you're not you're obviously not dealing with a physical with a balance sheet that's like been prepared by an accountant um yeah. but you know that you know 10 percent of crop value loan is like the difference between you know a kid who can go to school and a kid who can't. This is like really data driven microfinance. You know, like this was the original yeah. microfinance funding farmers with like hundred dollar yeah. checks to go buy new tool fertilizer. Yeah. yeah, well, but like, and the thing too is that you know a lot of those microfinance loans like precipitated you know farmers setting themselves on fire, right? Because they weren't made with like you know adequate uh understanding of the underlying farm right you just sort of are like provisioning leverage for anybody who wants it versus this where you're making a smart loan that's likely to get paid back mm. uh <laughs> metaphorical uh, fire metaphors 
I, I mean, Rashid can corroborate. I, I, like, there's we're talking about literal people. People literally set themselves on fire because of debt, right? Uh, uh, what? And yeah, yep. I, this guy, this just took a turn. This got this this podcast here. Rajit, give us some tips. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, you know, I, I'm actually uh, located right now on the historical farmhouse that uh, a family member of mine built in Utah when it was still Mexico. Um, and the soil here is very similar to like Rajasthan, uh, you know, like the, or like, you know, it's an environment, it's heavy, heavy clay soil. So I'm really, uh, hoping that you can help us, uh, you know, kind of fix this, uh, this whole situation. I mean, if it is Rajasthan, it's called arid, that is low, uh, water condition. Uh, I'm no, I'm, I'm no way close to being an agronomist, but. You know, uh, one of the things I recently discovered, one of our partners, uh, they have come up with this Japanese technologies, which they are bringing to India, wherein if you put a spoonful, of, I'm talking about gardening, and this can be used for farming as well. So, mm-hmm. and I have started using this in my plants outside in my in, in my courtyard here. Uh, and if you put this particular formula in your soil, you don't have to plant uh you don't have to water your plant for many many days so mm. it's a formula there's this white color formula uh which you put when you are doing farming or when you are doing gardening uh and it allows you to allows soil to retain water so if you are in a arid region that means mm. you would have less use less water and it also allows the nutrient to not flow out of the farm so typically what happens is let's say you have put in some nutrient and there is a some sort of a flood which happens or some sort of a rain which happens but by putting this particular polymer in the soil uh, farmer is able to retain the nutrient in the soil uh, for for longer time so it allows farmer to use lesser chemicals in the in the farm it also allows chemicals not flowing into the drainage and and some long lasting impact farmer has so again i i don't have the formula here but i can send i should be offline the details of it but it's a really nice thing i have started using in my clay pots here in off in, in my uh, home where i have some you know rose plants and some other flowering plant and i could see i don't have to water them daily i can skip a couple of days in in this scorching heat we have in india Wow, that's, I mean, that's, I, I've heard about some of these formulas. It's really crazy what people are doing with science these days. Yep, yep. <laughs> yep. And I, and I love the fact that that, you know, you, you're going to deliver all that type of insight with AI at scale across the continent. Yes. You know, it's, yes. it's yeah, amazing. Yeah, like 700 languages probably, right? I mean, Oh, the, I forgot about could, all the different languages. Yeah, like I think it India is, has something is. like... how. Yeah, like how like in the yeah. constitution, I think India has like twelve or thirteen languages, and then you know, many more than that on the ground. A lot of languages. So uh, we are right now working in Hindi and English primarily, but you know we have built systems which is capable of six to seven languages. We are in fact right now another part of the AI we are working on that you know in the farming it is all about trust. So we are working mm-hmm. on okay if a farmer calls in from a particular geography. They may be a Hindi-speaking geography, but they speak Hindi slightly differently. Like there's a dialect and there's an accent, right? There's a heavy Southern accent like you may have in mm-hmm. the U.S., right? So 
similarly, so what we are thinking is, oh, what if my AI speaks back to the farmer in that mm. accent? Because then he can open up. He's not no longer talking to foreigner, right? Oh my like, God, for mm, amazing. Uh, very small, small things, but very meaningful things. I think Hillary Clinton tried that approach uh, in her speeches when she would say, y'all. Am I wrong? I don't know how that worked for her, but anyway. Well, yeah, she, and, and she'd also be like, I carry hot sauce everywhere with me. Uh, I'm so down to earth. I'm just a woman of the people, you know? I mean. Richette, thank you for coming on the show and telling us about harvesting and all the work you're doing. It's amazing to think that we had that coffee at Stanford six years ago and and you've accomplished all this. And let's do some uh, plugging here. Ruchit will be back to give a lecture at Stanford. I think maybe it's this September and it's going to be standing room only, apparently. A barn burner. burner. But thank you, Ruchit. We'll uh, we'll let you go. Get back to your evening with your family. Um, stay and, yeah, safe. And we'll, look f- and we'll look forward to uh, the name of that uh, that compound so that we can, uh, you know. Yeah, we need that. Jap- the Japanese compound. Yeah, give us, the, give us that Japan stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, Richard. Bye. Beautiful. The, oh, oh, my gosh. I, like, I, I think that that compound might be called effective microorganisms. Oh. Um, the but yeah like it, it it really is crazy how like you know there's so many soil amendments that you can buy there's so many different things that you can put into your to the ground and like you know as a, a gardener who's doing it for funsies yeah you know you sort of go oh 20 bucks fine whatever mm-hmm. um but you know on a two hectare plot yeah if you're doing it for your livelihood that's, that's a pricey. huge expenditure you know, yeah. and uh, yeah, like it's and, and you're just gonna not take the risk uh, unless you have a really good reason to. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. You know, isn't it actually, funny the yeah. soil like all these what are they soil amendments? Is that what we call them? Yep. yep. Um, you know, I can remember my my mom just putting um, eggshells in in the garden and like doing all this different stuff just to like try to get the pH right. Yep. Um, and get uh, what is it? Different minerals in there. Um, and then my father-in-law, um, for, he, he has acres of grapes would take mm. um, oyster shells and put oyster shells because I think that gives it a limestone characteristic, which is, um, pretty similar to, uh, I don't know what, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The, I, I mean, the. I, I'll save my garden stories for the gardening segment, but the uh, the like you know, let's talk about hard things, man. Like, what's uh, what's going on in your, uh, you know, what's tough for you these days? Oh, I'll be right back. <laughs> well, I you know, I, I guess I'll just tell this story now that the um, you know, so I'm in Provo, Utah, which is, you know, kind of similar to Pleasantville for those of you who aren't familiar with the built environment out here. And, um, you know, I've been kind of flipping my parking strips and I'm starting to get looked at like an absolute lunatic because our house looks like, you know, a constant construction zone. Um, you, you know, like, uh, we've been, I, I just started telling my garden story. While you, while you got <laughs> yeah. You know, but now uh, it's, I mean, slow, we, you realize that I didn't have my pants on. During this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah, literally, yeah. Have, it, 
sitting here you, in the morning, summer break, somebody comes to the front door during the podcast, you got to get up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The, uh, but yeah, tell me about hard things. Let's, let's, what's, uh, what's well, that's one on working from home is hard. You know what I mean? You got, yeah, it's true. You got people come to the true. door with packages. Um, at least we're not yeah, doing it live. Yeah. You, I mean, you gotta, you gotta like, I, for me working, the hard thing about working from home is like actually remembering to leave the house. <laughs> yeah. Like getting out of the house once a day. Yeah, um, exactly. Like I, <laughs> I've started my, taking phone calls while I'm walking around. Oh, that's, that's my really move. Helpful. That's not a yeah. hard thing. That's a delightful thing. I, uh, it is. In fact, there's people in the neighborhood that are like, oh, there he is. That's that's the walking guy who does the phone calls. Um, <laughs> in fact, at the gym the other day, I had this woman come up to me and be like, why don't you walk around the neighborhood anymore? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I, You know who I am? She's like, you're the dude who's walking around. Uh, the neighborhood on the phone all the time. And I was like, that was probably COVID if I'm honest. Yeah. Like yeah. I was, we were all stuck. Anywho, yep. my hard thing is um, I'm, I'm, I taught a class. It's the first class of its kind at Stanford on institutional investors. And we got to the end and, you know, there was a couple of students that didn't pass. Aye. And that's hard. And and I'm yeah. hoping that we'll get there. But I, I just, you know, you get so invested in your students and um, you really want everybody to succeed. And so there's a, yeah, like I've, I've found myself, you know, doing things that I don't remember professors doing for me, which is like personally emailing single students and saying, how can I help you get this assignment done? Um, mm. You know, where it's like, I don't want, I don't want somebody to like, just not have done the work and not not pass my class anyway. I find, yeah, and maybe I'm too invested in these students, and I just gotta like the hard thing is like to let go. Like if they've signed up for the class and they haven't done the work, it's not my fault. It's their fault. Is like the you know that's what like my wife would tell me, but I can't do that. You know I'm too I'm yeah. too motivated to get these these students um, a passing grade, and it's a pass fail course, Sloan. Oh wow. It's, yeah, your problem is you care too much. It sounds like I think I do. Uh, that is maybe that's the hard <laughs> thing. Uh, you know, you can't yeah. care a lot about things when you're doing new things. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think you need to be. You can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, I guess. But yeah. you know, if you're dealing with individual livelihoods and outcomes, you know, where like that P versus F on the transcript can be very material. You know, I, I had some professors like when I was really depressed in college, reach out and be like. You know, hey, how can I get you the P? Yeah, and it was. Oh, that's nice. Big, okay, yeah, so I'm not alone. Deal, because that's literally what I did. I wrote, "How do I? How can I help you pass this? Like, here's what you I detailed it. What do they got to do? Yeah. Um, and the yeah. nice thing is, you know, one of the things that Stanford allows, and everybody's going to groan because of the great inflation component, is you can put an incomplete if if the student gives you an idea of their plan on how they will mm. complete the work. So they tell you how they're going to complete the work. Then you can give them an incomplete. And an incomplete can be updated for up to a year. Unless oh, that's great. Unless you're graduating. And then in which case, yeah. there's no, that's not an option. But um, yeah, so that that's like, you know, I, I'm not giving away free grades. I want people to do the work, right? But I also know that like, and I'm not sure all these 18-year-olds know this, like transcripts freaking matter. They you do. Know? It's a little bit they weird. Do. They really do chase you around for a long time. Now, now that I'm I mean, in my like, 40s, nobody's asking me for my GPA anymore, right? But in my 30s, I feel like it still happened. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, yeah, it's, I, I think that like, it particularly matters if you want to do grad school or anything like that. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I have a similar kind of heart that, which is like, you know, I've been basically, you know, I, so I hired this person and that meant that I had to train this person. Um, and like my problem, again, on the caring too much side is that, you know, so I've gotten, I've basically created this like 12 week onboarding program where I have, you know, Gabe, who's this person spending, uh, about like, I don't know, four or five hours a week on continuing professional development. Sweet. Uh, and like, my problem is I'm like jealous of him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're like, I want to read books. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and like, you know, I, he's got like, I mean, there's some, you know, some a monk papers in there. There's a, you know, a bunch of like, you know, homies mm. who've been on the podcast and would be familiar um and uh like i it's it's crazy to kind of live you know go to get to the point where i'm like living vicariously through this other person yeah watching them discover like organic finance for the first time mm, that's know? a good one and and then kind of go like holy crap I, okay I, i'm getting it i'm seeing these things come together yeah uh you you're know, like teaching and then, that's that's I, like teaching that's like what it teaching. feels like yeah I it's, can see I, it yeah. in the, and when the light bulbs start going off. It's wild. It's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. It's, I, I, I feel like I might just need to start teaching a course somewhere at some point because uh, it's just too fun. You know, um, mentorship, though, has its own rewards. And it's, that's true. What you are going through feels a little bit like what it is to be a PhD supervisor, which, mm. which I've had the luxury of doing, I don't know, 10 plus times now in my life, maybe more. Um, I guess I did put the plus. So that's like, that goes to inf infinite. Um, yeah, that's true. It's a range. It's a range. But it, it is such a treat to like have somebody know enough to ask a hard question. And I, and in my last comment on my class, which I thought was a fascinating use of chat GPT and generative AI, I, I had a question in the final exam and they wrote, they, they and we had talked a lot about how chat GPT is dumb. It doesn't know enough and it lies. Yep. So it they, hallucinates. they put the question into chat GPT published what the chat GPT and they critiqued chat GPT, which revealed that the students knew more about this topic than chat GPT. And as a reader of that, I was like, oh, wow, you really just demonstrated your knowledge in a way that is kind of profound. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that like as a, a pedagogical method, that's a great, you know, I mean, like, I, I think like having somebody mark up and respond to something. Yeah. Uh, is like so much better than making them write it themselves in some ways because then you know they're learning how to take an argument apart. Yeah, it's not white belt. Uh, you're immediately yellow belt because you're having yeah. to respond and go beyond the white belt because ChatGPT is going to give you the white belt for yeah. those karate I, I, aficionados out there. Yeah, like I had a prospective client ask me like what uh, method I use to come up with uh, investment ideas. And I was like, I don't know, critical reading? <laughs> like yeah uh you know anyway uh i uh i feel like it's time for you know the time uh, all of our uh our listeners have been waiting for this one sound effect that we do in basically every episode we have to do it and you have to do it um and <sighs> honestly it goes to a part of my being I'm like goose, goosebumps or whatever they're called. You know, it's I like should I should make my ringtone for you on my cell phone. That yes, yeah, just that. <laughs> I don't know that why. on repeat. Yeah, I don't know why I haven't done that. Um, the uh, okay, so first question. This is a great one. Yeah. Okay, ancient spreadsheets, right? Ooh, There's I the love Babylon. Them. Love them. 
right? And and the, and the spreadsheet, right? You know, is the kind of classic accounting and finance technology. Yeah. Um, do you know of any examples of it outside of Babylon? I do. I do. It was fun to hear, by the way, Ruchit talk about data from our forefathers being wrong. Right? You know, yeah. and I was like, mm, ancestral APIs is like what went through my mind, you know, <laughs> tapping into the data of the of the history and using it today in your cropland. I was like, whoa, that's deep. Um, oh, my gosh. Ancestral APIs. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I, I'm picturing like some cursed startup, like, you know, ancestral wisdom as a service or something like that. <laughs> or it's the greatest free money podcast startup. That's true. Um, That's true. Could be the number one startup in the world. Good point. Good point. Good point. Uh, Okay, so (laughs) there's there's tons. There's tons of spreadsheets. The Babylonian is the fun one because it was on a tablet, and so you can tell a good joke about. Mm. Oh, we still got spreadsheets on tablets. It's just these ones aren't made of clay. That's a great joke. (laughs) It, It lands well. Yeah, um, a, that's you know that's really the the, the you know, that's part of your tight five probably. Yeah, no, it is. It's right in there with my core comedy um, spiel. <laughs> but there's many spreadsheets. So the one that I, I found that goes back the oldest is Mesopotamia, seven thousand mm. years old spreadsheets, which in modern times would be Iraq. Um, and it was accounting. You already called it out. These were just accounting spreadsheets. Yep. They weren't doing simple correlations. They were just tracking. You know, this person you know, this quantity, this price. So you've got three columns and many rows going down and um, they would track crops. They would track livestock, goods traded, received and expenditures. And so I think that might qualify as the oldest spreadsheet ever found. So there's probably spreadsheets that go back to when those aliens got here that we were talking about at the top. But, um, (laughs) you know, we haven't found those yet. When the aliens got here and introduced us to the principles of accounting. Yes, exactly. Uh, the, you know, it's like we're looking for, you know, crazy physics revelations, but it's, you know, double entry bookkeeping that they, yep. that they you know, we reverse really engineered the spreadsheet from their technology. <laughs> how lame would it be if it turned out that was like their hallmark of techno uh, of like intelligence was like how good is your accounting system you know they're not like they don't look at like how ethical is your <laughs> political system or anything like that they're just like all right mm. you know <laughs> yep um wow yeah that's i mean it's so cool that people have been doing the same thing isn't it funny ever yeah like the it, i mean again like you know sitting on this plot that was like somebody's dirt farm uh in my family like mm. you know it's crazy to just think about this person in like 1800 uh anyway um so in your in the portfolio for the future thing there's this oh yeah uh, we got this que- question about categorical and cultivated advantages Ooh. right effective use of categorical and cultivated advantages um i can't identify ours hmm. how would you start identifying a categorical uh, versus a cultivated advantage. Yeah, so a categorical. Somebody's really reading deep. I almost think this is a Gabe question. Since it the, is a Gabe question, <laughs> I was going to say somebody's <laughs> like, "Wow, somebody's got deep into my uh, portfolio it, of the future." It's 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 almost like I've been forcing someone to read a bunch. You're like of read recently. this stuff and ask questions. Uh, all right, Gabe. Let me tell you. Uh, look, the categorical is what you're born with 
you know, it's certain people are going to be seven feet tall and they're going to play basketball. Other people are going to be five foot four and they're going to win a gold medal doing, you know, gymnastics. Right. So, so understanding like what your, um, original endowment set, that's the categorical. And, and, mm-hmm. and you've kind of got to know what that is before you go and you, you define like, oh, I'm going to go after this asset class or this geography. You know, yep. if, if you can handle illiquidity, yeah, see if you can build a, a program for private equity, for real estate, for infrastructure. If you can't, then you won't. So that's, where, that's the beginning of understanding that um, categorical. It's a lot about that investor identity work, which was the follow-on mm-hmm. paper to that one. The yep. cultivated is really like the compounding effects of internal investment. And this is the one that I think people miss when they simply talk about internal versus external management as a function of, you know, well, what is your net return? Like yep. when you only look at net return, you're missing the compounding effects over time of investing in your own capability. That so makes a lot of sense. In year one, you're like, Okay, if I give this manager my money to invest in agriculture or I build my program to invest in agriculture, maybe the performance looks similar. Yep. In year 10, that manager has built all these capabilities with your fees and then you don't have any capabilities and maybe they're giving you more performance, but more likely they're just capturing more of the upside yep. in their fee structure. Yep. And yet if you had internalized it and done it, you would now have a cultivated edge in the way that TIA, mm-hmm. now now Nuveen, had built this remarkable edge in agriculture. Um, yep. Michigan, uh, MERS, Michigan Employees Retirement System, weirdly, is like a very well-known agriculture investor. I think they had 8% of their portfolio in ag. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And that's just a function of, one, identity, where they are in the world. That's the categorical. Yep. There's like farmland around there. Um, and then two, they just started investing and getting smart. And over time, the categorical led to the cultivated, which led to MERS having an identity related to ag. That makes a lot of sense. Thank really God. Amazing. So thank yeah, God. So like uh, the like in the invest vegan world, it would be like the cat the categorical is like, okay, I'm gonna actually do some work to know who I am. Step one. Uh step one, right? Like let's like you know, not build a, a strategy that's predicated on trading yeah. and, and whatnot. Um, You're not going to be a high frequency trader, Sloan. Yeah. I'm not a morning person. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so anything know, that uh, needs you to touch the markets on a daily basis is not for you. So it's, that's it's, good. It's, you just know it. It's simply going to not happen. Yeah. yeah. Like, and so, and, and, you know, you can feel bad about that or you can get on with it. Yeah. Uh, and then the cultivated would be the way we take notes, the way we learn, the way we, you know, build out knowledge over time. Yeah. Um, that's a great distinction. Um, this is like, now let's talk some trash about AI. Let's do it. Oh, fun. Right. Like, you know, I mean, this is the question. I feel like you're going to get this every time you give a talk for the next like seven years. I know Uh, it's already happening. It really, yeah. Like it's so deep, like. Let's talk, you know, well, ask the question ins- and then we'll talk about. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think there will ever come a point where large institutions are wholly or majorly relying on investment advice from AI? There, uh, well, th- that's a, the question goes too long, right? So if we, yeah, if we're it, looking it, at a hundred years, yeah, I, I think there's, a, there's, <laughs> that's going to happen. Yeah, like, it seems too a, good already. Technology is continuing. 
this this reminds me of a Jason Voss observation. Like most disagreements are about time horizon. Yeah. Uh, you know, like so. Totally. Yeah. Over a over like a ten year horizon. Sure, maybe whatever. But like over a, you know, the next seven years, the practical time horizon. Yeah, in a practical time horizon, I just don't see us ceding our fiduciary duty to robots completely. I think we'll have yeah. a, a man machine symbiosis. I think. The really important decisions will still be human and the machines will free humans time to spend yep. more time on the important things. The data yep. entry, the simple like dashboarding, the modeling, all of that stuff, even liability projections, scenario analysis, yep. like that type of like, I don't want to call it grunt work because it's it's like the classic white collar job, but those classic <laughs> white collar jobs are going to be threatened by this this new generative ai world in fact yeah. like i'm working on a startup right now with two guys that think they can kind of automate the investment memo and oh and God. use generative yeah. ai to produce fully formed you know 20 30 40 page memos and and it scares the shit out of <laughs> the investment professionals who are like no no, no no that memo like that's kind of my job like yeah. right, writing that memo is like how I have an existence. And then so you have to say to them, oh, no, 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 this isn't to replace your memo. This is a red team memo or this is a alternative view memo. But like down the road, Sloan, it's the memo, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down the like, road. It, it, I mean, it, well, that, you know, it'll enable. I mean, we don't really do memos because we don't have the um, the bandwidth, right? Yeah. You know, like, so we do, like, I do, you know, five bullets kind of thing, not like a, you know, a, a classic deal memo. And, uh, you know, for a small team, that could be really useful because then you can have better, you can like, it'll get, generate something that you can respond to, mark up, Beautiful. and then be like, and yeah. then get a better capture of your, of what you're thinking. Yeah. Um, and you go right to the yellow belt, right? A lot of people's yeah. memos is just like, oh, let's get the risk. Let's write the risk factors again. What are our key yeah, assumptions exactly. that need to be true for this deal to work? You know, yep, yep, and the yep, beauty yep. of having the AI do a lot of that is one, they'll capture assumptions baked into your logic that you don't see. Mm -hmm. Interest rate assumptions, you know, yes. whatever. Growth rate assumptions for a specific category of whatever it is. And yeah. then tracking those assumptions over time. Imagine that. Oh, oh my God. two years from now, you've done 14 deals. Those 14 deals all had exposure to this assumption, which is inflation will be X. Now oh inflation is Y. And all of a sudden you could get an alert from your AI saying, hey, all these deals need to be revisited because of this assumption baked in. Right now, we don't do any of that, Sloan. None. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, and, and also like, you know, hey, Sloan, you're trading this particular category of assets in a dumb way. Wouldn't that be neato? Yeah. Oh, my God. Just like yeah, spotting that's like, problems in the way that you're trading. And, you know, yeah, you're, you're yeah, getting exactly. front run because when you submit your trade, you know, you do it through this platform, which. <laughs> yeah. Or like you have this particular blind spot with high valuation stocks where you sell them too early. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, De-biasing investments. Oh, my God. That, 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 yeah, that's the like. The problem is people usually hold them too long, right? That's yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it, it, but it's like the, you know, when you think about performance measurement, and performance mm. management, there's like the quantitative question of like, what's the number that you put out? But then there's the like the management KPI question of like, 
how do I break down and disaggregate the decisions that I've made and look at them individually and see where I'm creating and destroying value. Um, and I can exactly. see AI being uber, uber useful for that. Me too. Um, you know, and, and also in the garden. Uh, in the garden. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I think I'm already using AI in my garden with that app that I have. Picture this yeah, is what it's called. I'll just give the plug. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I, uh, I, it's, I've got some, you know, seven and 10 year old homies down the block who I, I showed picture this yesterday and they were like, loving it. Absolutely yeah. loving it. Well, sometimes you um, show the kids the technology and they're like, you're just hearing about this. But yeah. other times it's like, you're doing magic. Yeah. They're like, they're like, what plan is that? What plan is this? <laughs> yeah, what plan exactly. is that? Yeah. <laughs> my kids are so um, yeah. much smarter than I was at their age because of oh, my the YouTubes. It is yeah, insane. Well, my son will be like, oh, like the whole story, you know, about World War One and how it happened and, you know, the prince getting killed. Like, <laughs> he'll give me like the whole story and I'll be like, I don't even know if I ever knew that, you know, yeah. like because they're just kicking it, watching YouTubes with like real good. If you get the, you have to curate who you're listening to, but you have to. Yeah. It, like it's like you know, they're just kicking it on YouTube. Like, yeah. yeah. Henry comes in, he's like, what's this nationalist perspective? Yeah, like, yeah, like, how is it that like we're letting all of these, uh, you know, homosexuals run the government, Dad? <laughs> um, that has not yeah, happened. Like, That's a hypothetical. Okay, my kids are very, very open-minded kids. I mean, but yeah, YouTube is one of my my richest uh, information environments, and yeah, I can imagine what it would have been like to grow up with it. Oh my God, on YouTube, the you thing know. I found lately, I have to tell you, it's the greatest tip. It's this guy. I've I hit subscribe. Okay, I don't do mm -hmm. that very much. Mm -hmm. I think I've mm -hmm. only done that maybe once where I've subscribed fully subscribed. Wow, I know. It's it's called Rockstar, and he does voiceovers for animals. Oh, he walks that's so as cute. if he's the dog. You know, and the dog is like, woo, 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 but he deletes the woo, 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 and he just adds his voice with oh. the mouth movements. <laughs> it, my whole family, we've watched every single rock star. So rock stars, you're out there. We love you. We I, think you're so I mean, good. Yeah, I'm, uh, I just made a note in a tab to subscribe later. That, you know, there's a, there's another one called, uh, called Tear Zoo, which is like, it takes like, um, it's really, really cool. It's a nature channel. Oh. But it takes like you know, kind of this gaming approach to it, right? So oh, the idea, like, you know, like in, wow. in Super Smash Brothers, for example, people will publish like tiers of different characters you can play as, mm. you know, where like really competitive players and online are all playing as, you know, Zelda or something right. like that. Um, but, uh, the, you know, in this they go, okay, so let's do a, a tier ranking of snakes. I feel like I've seen this this channel. My son watches it's this, where cool. I hear, I hear cool. in the background the way to school, like this dude is talking about birds. And like, which birds are OP and, you know. Yeah, ex exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it, you know, yeah. How can you like make a snake a viable build? <laughs> exactly. Meta, this build. Meta? Yeah, it's very funny. Uh, by um, the way, speaking of Smash Brothers, man, I've been playing some Mario Kart. It is oh, really? fun. I'm back into oh, it. Yeah. Oh, no. oh, I know. No. There's is some it? tears that have had to happen because we're all talking SHIT at each other. Yeah, but with yep, my yep, kids, yep. it is so funny to be playing Mario Kart again 25 years <laughs> later since my my wife almost left me because I beat her at Mario Kart. But anyway, maybe that's TMI. 
It's, I, I mean, I, you know, I think it's a, you know, timeless, timeless game and uh, makes me happy to be a Nintendo shareholder. Yeah. Uh, oh, are you? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I'm, a, you know, very, uh, very happy uh, to see every development there. Um, but yeah, what do you got for me in the garden, man? So I, you know, I'm growing big trees that the, my, yes. my new thing is I cleared out a bunch of the veggies. It was just getting too wild. Yep. And I just wasn't eating enough of them. And so I found it was getting a little unruly. And I started to plant acorns, um, pine cones, and like literally stuff I find on the ground. I'll just put in my planter and water yep. it and see what happens. Wow. That's the way to do it. Yeah. And so I have a giant sequoia going right now. And it's about three inches. Um, this Pretty, is a baby. It's giant to me. You know, it's a small you giant. Have the right perspective. <laughs> yeah. But then I was like, okay, so here this is the tip part of that. Which is, all right, so where do I move this thing when it's ready? And it, there's a whole bunch of information. It's got, it, it can't be like soil that's soaked, but here's the part that's the conundrum. A mature giant sequoia can use 500 to 800 gallons of water every, wait for it, day <laughs> during the summer. 500 <laughs> to 800 gallons. So like... I don't know where I'm going to plant this thing. Like, I don't have that. Uh, I think I got to go and plant it near a river or something. Like, I had no idea it used that much water. 800 gallons a day? That's insane. That's like a pool. That's, yeah, that's like, yeah, that's bananas. Like, the, I, water use is just one of those things where it's so counterintuitive to me how it winds up playing out. You know, and yeah. like, and it's fun, you know, here in Utah, right? Like, you know, this is a desert. Um, you know, everyone's worried about water. The great, great salt lake was drying up. Um, of course, you know, the big water use is that everybody, um, like 68% of our water in the state goes to growing alfalfa. Oh, which wow. Is fed to cows huh. for dairy. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like, yeah, I mean, not to be the preachy vegan, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're putting our alfalfa where our mouth is. Yeah, exactly. The um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, I mean, another thing that people are doing to save water uh, is flipping their their parking strip, right? So that's the strip oh. of land in between the sidewalk and the street. Okay. Um. Right. And like most of the time, it's lawn. Yeah. I started to I started to describe this when you were uh, answering the door. Um. You know, I've been flipping my parking strip. No way. Which make yeah, which makes our house look insane. By the way. Oh. Uh, because like, you know, right now, you know, there's a, a pile of dirt in the front yard and then there's a bunch of tarps covering stuff. Um, but like, how do you kill your lawn? Right. It's an interesting question. Most people focus on keeping it alive. Yeah. Um, but killing it is actually much harder. <laughs> how funny, <laughs> you know, because the thing about grass is like it seeds itself. It yeah. expands. It's a very resilient plant. Um, and it forms this thick crust. Yeah. Um, you know, that you need to penetrate. So uh, I've tried a lot of different ways to do it. Um, the first, like, you know, and we basically have two sections that we're working on. The section that we did first, we just dumped a ton of compost on. And I got this um, drill bit off of Amazon uh, that is like, it's just a big auger and it attaches to a regular drill and you can just <laughs> use it to like tilt. Uh, cool. and you know, so I'm just like sitting out there with my drill. It takes a long time. It's very tight, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, you look insane again. Yeah. Um, what a smart person would have done okay. is covered the thing with a tarp. Uh, <gasps> no sun, no sun. 
Um, right. And so that's what we're doing with our second thing. So my, my tip is if you want more garden space, yeah. uh, or you just want to save some water, uh, go get a tarp, cover your parking strip and wait for five weeks. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. And then, and then you've got like this great garden space and like, you know, I'm planting wildflowers in mine. Sweet. Um, you You won't be the, you'll be the smart one at the end of this. You look crazy now, but at the end people be like, damn. Yeah, but it's it's really I mean again like you know Provo is like Pleasantville. Yeah. Uh you know, it's a very like just I mean it, you know, we're walking distance again to Brigham Young University. Wow. Uh you know, and uh like so people are coming up and you know all the other houses have these manicured lawns and like you know very yeah. well kept, you know, classic American gardens. Um and you know, I just Beautiful. look like a nutcase. No, you're going to yeah. you're going to end up winning. Only you're going to win. Be. Only way to be. All right, my friend. Um, yeah. Well, we gotta we gotta get out of here. We do. Bye, listeners. We love you. We do love you. And bye. And bye.